Welcome to the National Community Church Podcast. We're thrilled to be able to share this weekend message with you from Pastor Mark Batterson, our lead pastor at NCC. If you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes or go to theaterchurch.com. Merry Christmas. What a joy to be together Uh, as a church family. You know, the interesting thing is that most of our church travels uh, around Christmas, but I know that we've probably got some family uh, that are visiting, and, and so if you're a guest, it's a joy to have you here. Um, and I just want to say, I mean, th- this is special for me tonight because we've got uh, some neighbors here, which is really fun for us. And then uh, it's a little infrequent these days for Laura and I to have all three kids uh, in a service. And so Parker, Summer, and Josiah are here, and uh, what a joy. And so welcome. I know we have our kids with us Uh, And so that's your insurance that this will not be the longest message I ever preach. (laughs) A few years ago, I had a meeting with a D.C. council member. I don't remember much of what we talked about, but I remember the last few minutes of our meeting. I asked him if I could pray for him. And he got very quiet. And at first, I wondered if I had offended him. And then I realized that he was giving great thought to his answer. And I was a little nervous that he might ask me to pray that he would win. And I don't know if I could pray that or not. I don't know if that's fair. But uh, he made a prayer request that is one of my all-time favorite prayer requests. He said, Pray that I don't let fear dictate my decisions. I thought to myself, yeah, that's a prayer I can pray. And that's my prayer for you this Christmas. If you have a Bible, you can turn to the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. We'll get there in a moment. But as I see it, we have two choices. We can let... Faith dictate our decisions. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. Uh, But for our purposes this weekend, I think faith is playing to win. Or you can let fear dictate your decisions. And I think fear is playing not to lose. And that's a very different way of living your life. Here's what I know for sure. If you run away from what you're afraid of, you're going to be running your entire life. Your life will become defined by the things you fear, and that's no way to live. Here's what happens over time if we aren't careful. We let fear become a puppeteer that pulls our emotional strings and our behavioral strings in ways that eventually we aren't even aware of. So you raise your hand in fourth grade history. Uh, You're full of fourth grade confidence that you've got the right answer, but it's the wrong answer. And it's not the wrong answer that bothers you. It's the fact that your classmates laugh. And then you wonder why you lack confidence in the boardroom, even when you have a great idea. And there's a fraction of a second hesitation. 
I'll tell you why. It's because of a deep-seated fear that you may be wrong or you may be embarrassed all over again. And you let fear pull the strings. So what do you do? You start to organize your life in a way that allows you to avoid those situations that would trigger that fear. And you can fill in the blank with any fear you want. The fear of intimacy, the fear of failure, the fear of rejection, the fear of commitment. But I want you to know that Jesus said he came to set the captive free and fear is part of that package. We're only born with two fears, fear of falling, fear of loud noises. Every other fear is learned, which means every other fear can be unlearned. Faith is the process of unlearning fear. 1 John 4.18 says, perfect love casts out all fear. See, as we grow in our understanding of God's love for us, you don't have to fear anything anymore. The net result of God's love is fearlessness. And I think that's a timely message as we celebrate Christmas and prepare for a new year. The question is, uh, what does that have to do with the Christmas story? And the answer is everything. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Here we go. And there were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. I kind of like the King James version right here. Uh, They weren't just afraid. They were sore afraid. Now, can I tell you I'm a little sore today? Because I went hiking with my kids yesterday. Now, it wasn't the Inca Trail, the Machu Picchu. It was uh, Sky Meadow out by our Gainesville campus. Uh, But my kids keep a pretty good clip, and uh, they weren't waiting up for the old man. And so uh, I feel it a little bit today. Uh, Why do we get sore? We get sore when we overuse something. I wonder if there's some of us this weekend that maybe are afraid, but then if there are others who are sore afraid, that you're letting fear dictate your decisions in a way that um, fear is getting the best of you instead of God getting the best of you. Let me zoom out and say this. I think Mary and Joseph experienced fear in all of its forms. Uh, Do you remember parents, if you have children, with that firstborn, there's a little bit of nervousness, isn't there? A little kind of underlying fear. Do I have what it takes to be a mom, to be a dad? And there are so many uncertainties. And so you've got nervousness. And, And I think Mary and Joseph, like any new parents, experience that same nervousness. And then I think you've got financial anxiety. They were on their way to Bethlehem to pay taxes. Oh, and then there's a death threat and they have to escape in the middle of the night and become refugees in Egypt. I mean, this is the whole gamut of fear and we don't feel it because we're so far removed. But fear is the reality of the Christmas story. They were sore afraid. But here's the good news. Verse 10, the angel said unto them, fear not. 
For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill, goodwill, goodwill toward men. The very first thing that the angels pronounce is fear not. And it shouldn't come as a surprise. Those two words are one of the most repeated phrases in all of scripture. When God appeared to Abraham in a vision, the very first thing he said was, fear not, for I will protect you. And then he appeared to his son Isaac, same thing. He says, fear not, for I am with you and will bless you. What did God say to Moses when the Israelites are trapped between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea? God says, fear not, stand still and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. How about Joshua at the Jordan River? He says, fear not, I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. We get to the New Testament and what does the angel say to Joseph? Fear not. And how about Mary? Fear not. And what about when they're in the boat on the Sea of Galilee and a storm uh, sweeps in through that valley? Jesus says, fear not, I am with you. And when he appears to John on the Isle of Patmos, he says, fear not, I am the first and the last. Over and over and over again, God says, fear not. Fear not might not make the cover of many Christmas cards. It doesn't even seem Christmassy, right? But this is not a subplot in the Christmas story. Faith is the lead. It's the opening act, the opening sentence. It is the message of Christmas. Now I'll come back to fear not, but let me talk about good news of great joy. Let me talk about goodwill toward men because that's the heart of of the gospel, God with us and God for us. One of my favorite Christmas stories is about the little boy, Benjamin, who wanted a baby sister for Christmas. And so he decided to write a letter to God. He sat down and wrote, dear God, I've been a very good boy. And then stopped writing because he knew it wasn't true. And so he crumpled it up, threw it away and started again, said, dear God, I've been a pretty good boy. Stop, not real motivational, right? And so crumpled it up, threw away, and and he got a little different plan. Uh, Benjamin uh, went into the bathroom, grabbed a towel, went back to the uh, nativity uh, scene underneath the Christmas tree, and there were the statues of uh, Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus and the shepherds. And, you know, his mother had told him to never touch those figurines, but he... uh, He picked up the statue of Mary, put it in a towel, folded it up, hid it under his bed, and then sat down to write his letter again. Dear God, if you ever want to see your mother again. (laughs) Now listen, we're not quite that overt. 
but we do exactly what Benjamin did. We employ the same tactics to get what we want from God. We use bribery and blackmail. God, if you do this, I'll do that. Or God, if you don't do this, I won't do that. But God doesn't need to be bribed or blackmailed. Why? Because God is good. God's will is goodwill. That's what is the essence of this story. A few years ago, I was at the National Prayer Breakfast. Uh, Eric Metaxas was giving the keynote that year. And he said something so simple yet so profound. Would you take a minute? Just think about this. He said, everything I rejected about God was not God. Listen, most people who reject God aren't really rejecting God for who he is. They're rejecting God for who he isn't. In other words, they aren't really rejecting God. They're rejecting a religious misrepresentation of who God is. Eric Metaxas said, everything I rejected about God was not God. It was religion. It was people who go to church but don't show the love of Jesus. People who don't practice what they preach. People who are indifferent to the poor and the suffering. I had rejected that, but guess what? Jesus had also rejected that. Uh, Let me pull this thread just a little bit because this is so critical. The very first lie in the Garden of Eden was that somehow God was holding out on Adam and Eve. And a seed of doubt was planted to make Adam and Eve question the goodness of God. To wonder if maybe God was actually against them. Now, if we think that God is against us, what we naturally do is position ourselves against God. And then we reject him for all the wrong reasons. And what you end up with is a relationship that is fear-based, not love-based. And that isn't what God wants. A few years ago, I spoke at a conference in England uh, with the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby. And after his talk, there was a little Q&A. And he was asked the question, uh, the greatest challenge we face as Christ followers. And without a moment's hesitation, he said, every Christian I meet cannot quite believe that they are loved by God. Can I tell you why I think that's true? Because our love is reactive. (laughs) Because we're human. God's love is proactive. God's love is not dictated by your actions. Newsflash. Uh, For better or for worse. God doesn't love you because of who you are. God loves you because of who he is. The Bible says God is love. And at the very heart, of this Christmas story 
is a God who is trying so hard to convince us of that. And he does it by sending his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now you know the storyline. At, at Bethlehem, he's God with us. At Calvary, he's God for us. Listen, you mean the cross to Christ. And he proved his love for you at Calvary. Now, at Pentecost, he's God in us, right? So he's God with us, for us, in us. But I think what we've got to understand is that there is a God who is with us and for us in every way that we can imagine. One of my favorite psalms says, No good thing will God withhold from those who walk up rightly before him. I believe that. Jesus said it this way. If sinful people know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? It is the nature of God to give. Uh, come on, how many of you have been working real hard to find the right gift for somebody? Let me see your hands. You're working it. You're working it. I'm really concerned right now because three of you are working it. Um, how many of you are working it? You're putting some effort into this gift-giving thing. Can I see your hands? Okay. I mean, some of you are working it. Some of you, I don't know what's happening. I mean, we work pretty hard to find the right gift. And, and I want you to know that's the heart of God. Let me just make sure that on a weekend like this that we understand the gospel. Because when it says good news of great joy, good news is this word gospel. It's simply this, 2 Corinthians 5. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, here's the deal that's on the table. Jesus went to the cross and by doing so said, uh, why, why don't you let me pay the penalty for sin? Let me take care of that. You transfer your sin to my account and I'll pay it in full. Uh, but that's only half the gospel. The other half is this. He says, why don't I take my righteousness and transfer it to your account and then we'll call it even. Come on, what a deal. That, that's, it's good news. It's the gospel and I don't know. This might be a wonderful weekend uh, as we celebrate Christmas to simply receive that free gift. You can't earn it. You can only receive it by faith. It's God's grace. Now let me go back to fear not. You're doing great and the kids are doing great. Kids are doing great. A few decades ago, a parapsychologist from the University of Michigan, fascinating study on fear, uh, hooked up some volunteers with an electrode cap. And that cap enabled them to analyze brain activity in response to winning and losing during a computer simulated betting game. Are you still with me? With each bet, the medial frontal, medial frontal cortex showed an increased electrical activity within a matter of milliseconds. So the, the, the medial frontal cortex was firing. But what intrigued the researchers was this. Medial frontal negativity showed a larger dip after a loss than the rise in medial frontal positivity after a win. Researchers came to this simple conclusion. Losses loom larger than gains. In other words, the aversion to loss of a certain magnitude is greater than the attraction to gain 
of the same magnitude. Technical term, loss aversion. And, and this is where I come back to the gospel because I think so much of it is about overcoming this aversion to loss, this living life playing not to lose. I mean, if you look at the gospel through this angle, it's pretty amazing. I mean, Jesus tells a story about a shepherd who leaves 99 sheep to go after one. You got to overcome some loss aversion if you're going to leave 99 on the table to go after one. And what about the parable of the talents? Uh, The guy who hid his talent in the ground, why did he do it? Well, the Bible says he was afraid. He let fear dictate his decision. So he was playing not to lose. He was trying to avoid loss. Story after story. But there is a God who wants to set us free from fear so that we can live by faith. Let me close with this. You know, it seems to me that people have two very different reactions to negative experiences. I think some people, those negative experiences put them in a prison of fear and they live the rest of their life trying to avoid that kind of situation. And then there are those who it seems like negative experiences set them free from the very thing they were afraid of. I'll give you an example. On the evening of January 30, 1956, Dr. Martin Luther King was speaking at First Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. While he was speaking, was informed that his house had been bombed. He excuses himself, goes home. His wife, their daughter, they're okay. They're shaken. They're okay. He calms everybody down because this was about to turn into a riot. Calms everybody down. And he's sitting at his kitchen table that night, and he says he hears a voice. And the voice says, Martin, do not be afraid. Isn't it interesting that sometimes when the thing you fear happens to you, it actually sets you free? (laughs) Now, I've told this a hundred times, so I'll give you the very short version. Our first attempt at church planning was a fail. And I'll be honest, you know, playing basketball in college, being pretty competitive to a fault. Man, I have a, I have a high fear of failure. But I'll tell you this, what I learned from that experience is the cure for the fear of failure is not success. It's failure in small enough doses that you build up an immunity to it. Because what I discovered is that when you succeed, God says, I love you. And when you fail, God says, I love you. And when you have faith, God says, I love you. And when you have fear, God says, I love you. It doesn't matter what kind of situation. And and I discovered that in the midst of that fail, there was a God who was there to pick me back up, dust me off, and give me a second chance. Listen, uh, fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, I am for you. There is a God who is saying that to you this weekend. Let me let Dr. King have the last word. He said, you may be 38 years old, as I happen to be. And one day, some great opportunity stands before you and calls you to stand up for some great principle, some great issue, some great cause, and you refuse to do it because you are afraid. You refuse to do it because you want to live 
longer. You're afraid that you will lose your job or you are afraid that you will be criticized or that you'll lose your popularity or you're afraid that somebody will stab you or shoot you or bomb your house. So you refuse to take the stand. Well, you may go on and live until you are 90, but you're just as dead at 38 as you would be at 90. And the cessation of breathing in your life is but the belated announcement of an earlier death of the Spirit. Fear not. I bring you good tidings of great joy, peace on earth, good will toward men. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you that you're the God who will never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, I pray that as we celebrate this Christmas season, as we prepare for a new year, I just want to believe that fear is not going to be the thing that defines our lives that are going to define us in this coming year, that we're not going to let fear dictate our decisions, but we're going to live by faith. We're not going to play not to lose. We're going to play to win. Why? Because he who began a good work in us is going to carry it to completion because all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose, because you have prepared good works in advance, because you're able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to your power that's at work within us, because no good thing will you withhold from those who walk up rightly before you, because your word does not return void, because you are watching over your promise to bring it to fulfillment. And so we give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.